Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by Massimo. At Massimo, your patient's safety is top priority. Always be ready for what's next with Massimo Patient Safety Net. Powered by clinically proven Massimo Set Pulse Oximetry, Patient Safety Net centralizes the display of continuous high-fidelity patient data and delivers alarm notifications directly to care providers. Combined, this system can transform a care area to provide another layer of continuous monitoring. Data collected over 10 years at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center found that use of Massimo SET and patient safety net helped reduce ICU transfers, rapid response team activations, and costs in multiple published studies. Discover how patient safety net can help support both your patient and care team needs. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. Now let's proceed to this month's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Restoration Care July 2020 Editor's Commentary and Podcast. I'm Rich Branson and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice is a study of the impact of extracorporeal membrane oxygenation on spontaneous breathing patterns in subjects with early severe ARDS. Spinelli and colleagues evaluated breathing pattern in subjects receiving pressure support ventilation and maximal extracorporeal CO2 removal. They were able to eliminate more than 90% of the subject's total CO2 production and arterial blood gases remained normal. They concluded that in severe ARDS, rapid shallow breathing was associated with less efficient CO2 and oxygen exchange by the native lung, a higher degree of organ failure, and a greater degree of lung edema. Davies and others contributed an accompanying editorial discussing the multiple factors which impact breathing pattern aside from carbon dioxide, including lung mechanics and neural control. Predicted ventilator shortages as a consequence of COVID-19 have led to a number of potential solutions. A controversial solution has been ventilating more than one patient with a single ventilator. In separate papers, Chatburn et al. and Herman et al. described the dangers of shared ventilation in unmatched pairs. Both papers described circuit modifications to help overcome the limitations of the naive approach. Hess and others provide an accompanying editorial detailing the physiologic consequences the ethical concerns, and the practical implications of this technique. They conclude that this technique is a short-term bridge to definitive care, but only in the most dire of circumstances. Matlock and others evaluated the use of non-invasive ventilation with and without NAVA in neonates in a crossover study. They estimated worker breathing using respiratory inductive plethysmography and determined asynchrony. They found that while asynchrony was reduced during NAVA, there were a number of instances where apnea resulted in subjects receiving mandatory breaths, and they did not find a reduction in the work of breathing. Miller and others surveyed respiratory therapists in North Carolina regarding their intubation practices. Reporting a 68% response rate, they found that respiratory therapists performing intubations were more likely to work in community hospitals and were more likely to care for adults. They reported that during training, the number of supervised intubations to be deemed competent was five. In North Carolina, respiratory therapists frequently performed intubations and were confident in the success of their programs. 
Rice and Matheson compared practice patterns between certified and non-certified asthma educators using a Likert scale survey based on asthma educator certification exam. All survey respondents provided direct patient education. They reported that for the majority of education tasks, there was no differences between groups on the reported frequency of education task performance. Armagan et al. conducted a survey of respiratory therapists in Pennsylvania to determine practice within hospitals. They achieved a response rate of 63% with half of respondents coming from academic medical centers. They found the use of protocols in three quarters of hospitals and the performance of non-traditional procedures in four out of five. The practice of respiratory therapy varied wild, widely within a small number of hospitals, allowing practice to the fullest extent of the respiratory therapy license. Ringer and others evaluated the impact of nasal aspiration and neuropharyngeal suctioning on physiologic parameters in infants with bronchiolitis. They measured transcutaneous carbon dioxide, oxygen saturation, and electrical impedance tomography changes during, during each procedure. EIT determined inspiratory and end expiratory lung volume loss and recovery. They reported that subjects tolerated both procedures equally as measured by short-term physiologic changes. Vampili and others evaluated the relationship between increased albuterol usage and air trapping in subjects with asthma. They applied linear modeling to evaluate the association between lung volume, spirometry, asthma symptoms, and rescue inhaler use. The group concluded that frequent albuterol use and wheezing might be a sign of unrelieved air trapping. They suggest the use of lung volume measurements during routine spirometry in these asthmatic patients. Kay et al. compared aerosol delivery efficiency between soft mist inhaler and pressurized metered dose inhaler during mechanical ventilation. They found that the SMI generated the smaller median mass aerodynamic, aerodynamic diameter and higher fine particle fraction than the metered dose inhaler. They concluded that during mechanical ventilation, the optimal placement of the SMI and the MDI was 15 centimeters from the Y piece with actuation at the end of expiration and the onset of inspiration. Herrera studied the impact of respiratory intensive care units on the outcomes of subjects requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation. Respiratory ICUs in France are facilities bridging intensive care and long-term care. Using a historical control prior to the introduction of the respiratory intensive care unit, Herrera reported improved outcomes of tracheostomized subjects undergoing prolonged mechanical ventilation, a reduced length of stay, a decrease in hospital mortality, and increased weaning success. However, interestingly, at the one-year survival remained unchanged in these patients. Burr and colleagues evaluated secondary traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder in respiratory therapists using a survey. They found that secondary traumatic stress occurred in a third of respondents with no difference between neonatal pediatric and adult care environments or years of work experience. They conclude that secondary traumatic stress is a common factor in hospital-based respiratory therapists. Abu Nura et al. evaluated the impact of international respiratory therapy education on respiratory therapy students from Saudi Arabia on their life experiences and professional development. Data was collected using a validated survey. Respondents were predominantly male with half having a graduate degree and the other half an undergraduate degree. They reported that international education had a positive impact on students' life experience and development. The study supports the value of promoting international education in respiratory therapy programs. Bier et al. evaluated the four-minute step test as a possible surrogate for the six-minute walk test using a modified Bode step index to predict mortality in COPD. Bode is the body mass index, airflow obstruction, dyspnea, and exercise score. 
They hypothesized that the step test may create physiologic responses similar to the six-minute walk test, but would be simpler to perform. In a sample of almost 200 subjects, they demonstrated that, that the modified Bode index was a prognostic marker independent of cardiovascular comorbidities and oxygen desaturation. They conclude that the four-minute step test uses a surrogate for exercise capacity in the Bode index is an independent predictor of mortality in COPD. Davis and Smallwood contribute a year in review on asthma, covering the most important papers in the last 12 months. Haynes and colleagues provide a narrative review on the history of pulmonary function reference equations. Their paper helps to define the strengths and weaknesses of using reference equations to interpret pulmonary function data in the context of research and clinical practice. Jin et al. contributed a systematic review on the impact of pre-hospital and antiplatelet therapy on development of ARDS. A significant number of adults are receiving antiplatelet therapy for prevention of thromboembolic events. The incidental use of antiplatelet therapy appears to reduce the rate of ARDS, but without an impact on outcomes. Marini, Gattinoni, and Rocco contribute a special article on the damage caused by high-stress ventilation. This group of renowned experts describes the impact of power on ventilator-induced lung injury and help to explain the role of driving pressure. We appreciate your attention to the Respiratory Care Podcast. Thanks for listening. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.